You're listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Kobernack. It is our desire that you will be helped by this Bible message. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10 is what we based out of tonight. Luke chapter 10 is such a great passage. Um, verses 29 through 37, they give us some really great instruction on how to help hurting people. How to help the people that God has placed around us that need some hope, that need some encouragement, that need some help. I want to encourage you to think about your, your circle of influence. Okay, We all have a, what I call the, uh, the circle of influence where you have coworkers, you have neighbors, you have people that, that God has strategically, okay, understand that word, strategically place them in your life. Right. You have people that, that God has there. Maybe you're thinking, well, I wish they weren't there. I understand that. I get that sometimes. But there's people around you that, that need some hope. Amen. I was at a church in Cincinnati last year speaking, and, and the, uh, the pastor got up after I was done, and he said, you know what, I have a niece and a nephew that are fatherless, and I didn't even think about it till now. And I'm not shaming him, it's just sometimes we don't think about those people around us. And he seemed like he was ready to go and help them and encourage them. And I want, to, want you to think about who's around you. Maybe they don't live right near you, maybe they live across the country, but you could still be an encouragement to their life. You could still do something for them to help them on this journey. So I want to encourage you to think about the people that are around you as we dive into this passage. Now, the Holy Spirit may lead different tonight. Holy Spirit may lead you to think about somebody else that's not even in a fatherless situation. Now, I'm here to represent the fatherless, and maybe there's somebody else that is in a fatherless situation, that, 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 or somebody else that's not in a fatherless situation, that the Holy Spirit says, I want you to help them instead. Well, you follow the Holy Spirit. You listen to what the Holy Spirit tells you to do, but I'm here to represent the fatherless, to show you what's going on with them. And before I dive into some of these statistics, understand if you are from a fatherless family, if you are a single mom, or you are a grandparent raising grandkids, or your, your situation is fatherlessness, understand that, that this does not have to define you. You don't have to become a statistic. I'm here to testify about that tonight. You can overcome this through Jesus Christ by you embracing Jesus Christ with your life. You don't have to become what other people have become, as you saw in the statistic on there and some other things I'm going to share with you in just a few moments. So please understand, don't be discouraged and be encouraged, understanding that there is a church here that loves you. There's a ministry that cares about you, right? There's a God in heaven that wants to be your heavenly Father that you can embrace, you can hold on to during those difficult times. You can overcome this, but there's many people out there that have not been able to overcome this because they've not embraced God, or they've never been told about God. Luke chapter 10, verse 29 says, But he willing to justify himself said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Such a sad verse. Verse 32 is just as sad. It says, And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. Verse 33 is encouraging, though. It says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him. 
And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Tonight I want to give you three steps that every single one of us can take to reach the fatherless or the hurting in our circles of influence. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for allowing us to come here tonight. Lord, I pray that you would rid me of myself and I pray that you'd speak through me. I pray that it would be from you. I pray that you'd be glorified tonight. I pray that you would just speak to our hearts about the people in our lives and our circles of influence that need some hope and help us to be willing and be obedient to go and reach those people. God, we love you. We thank you for this opportunity tonight. Please help us to honor you now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First thing, if you want to help people that are around you, that are, that are struggling, that are hurting, the first thing is you've got to reject apathy. Reject apathy. I was in eighth grade, and my eighth grade teacher said, Sean, I need to talk to you. I was one of those students who used to get in trouble all the time. Now, don't shame me for that. Is there anybody else in here that used to get in trouble in school? Be honest with me. Come on. I see your hand. Okay, I see your hand there. I see your hand. Okay, okay. Come on. Some of you older adults, be honest with me. Come on. You're like, that was so long ago, I can't remember. I understand that. I get it. I get it. But I, I need to know who my people are in here. But I was one of those people that used to get in trouble when I was in school, and... This teacher said, Sean, you need to come here. I need to talk to you. He said, you have been apathetic. He was talking about eighth grade science. And I looked at him and I said, I'll be honest with you, I said something like, I've never heard that word in my life. I really hadn't. I never heard that word before. It was not in my vocabulary. I didn't know what he was talking about. He said, that means you don't care and you don't care that you don't care. And I said, you are correct. I'm just kidding. I didn't say that. I don't remember what I said, but I said, I, you know, I, I didn't care about eighth grade science. But I learned that day what apathy meant. And I carried that with me. And I carried that with me even in my adult years where I've learned, I've seen areas, wow, I've been apathetic about that. Yes, sir. That's something I should care about. Amen. That's something I, I should really you know, look at and really be concerned with. God has that in my life for a reason. I should care about it. And sadly, there's many areas in our lives sometimes we have been apathetic. Yes, sir. Sadly, the issue of fatherlessness has been something the church as a whole, I'm not saying just this church, I'm saying as a whole across the United States of America, we've been apathetic about the fatherless. We've left them to kind of take care of themselves. We've left them to government agencies, to, to unchristian organizations. And, you know, there, there are things they can learn from these organizations, but without Jesus Christ present, it's only a, a, a short-term help, right? There's no eternal difference that may, it makes in their life. Amen. We've left them. We've been apathetic to them. We've said, you know, somebody else will take care of that. I want to encourage you tonight to reject apathy. Look at these, these guys here. In verse 31, And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He was apathetic. Yeah. Don't be like this guy. Verse 32, Jesus is telling us, don't be like this next guy. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the place, came and looked on him and passed by on the other side. He was apathetic. But I'm so thankful, verse 33, it says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. He said, no. He said, I'm not going to be apathetic. I'm going to care about this guy. I don't know about you, but if I saw somebody beside the road out here when we're coming into the church, and we saw them on the side of the road where they've been robbed and wounded, abandoned, and left to die, I'm sure we would, we would help them, right? We'd at least call 911. You may think to yourself, maybe they have coronavirus. I'm just kidding. You know, we'd at least call 911 and get somebody to help with the situation. We wouldn't just walk right by. 
When people are in situations that maybe they, they don't seem like they need much help right away, sometimes they really do. They need it right at that moment. They need us to reach into their life and, and give them some encouragement. We have to reject apathy. You know, this issue of fatherlessness is, is something that is affecting, like I said, every single one of us. It's something we all need to pay attention to. I'm not here for you to feel bad for me tonight because my, my story, God, God brought me through it. Amen. He helped me. He put, basically took my feet and put them upon a rock. He gave me the strength that I needed to overcome it. I have scars, but God brought me through it. I'm not here to, to brag on that. I'm not here for you to feel bad for me. I'm here to shine a light on the other fatherless individuals across this nation that need some encouragement. Amen. People that you can help. The ones that you can reach. I want to encourage you to reject apathy. You've got to understand where they're coming from, though. Again, if you are from a fatherless family, understand that I'm going to share some statistics. These do not have to define you. You do not have to become these. You don't have to go near these through Jesus Christ. First thing is crime. 85% of youth in prisons grew up in fatherless homes. I've heard that number has been increased to 90%, but I don't have the statistic here, but 85 to 90%. 85 to 90%. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? We wonder why. Why are they committing crime? 80% of rapists came from fatherless homes. I'm sorry, 80% of rapists motivated with anger issues come from fatherless homes. Isn't that amazing? Of the 27 deadliest mass shootings, 26 of them were fatherless. They don't have a dad to teach them to respect themselves, to teach them how to respect society. They don't have people behind them showing them, hey, this is how you're supposed to live in life and respect a woman or respect your friends or respect people in your workplace. Instead, they just act out in violence. We as Christians can come into their life and we can show them the love of Jesus Christ. Amen. Help them understand they don't have to go down that path. You know, a lot of times these, these young boys will go down with a group of friends. Sometimes we call it a gang. Sometimes it's just a group of friends and they'll follow that leader in that group. Maybe an older guy or something like that. And they go down that path and they follow, hey, let's go to do this, commit this crime or, or do something that we know we shouldn't be doing, but I don't have a, really anybody else that really I feel like is pointing me in the right direction. So I'll just follow with them. We see these, these kids making these mistakes, and I'm not giving them excuses. They have to own up for what they did. But imagine if we had a, had a Christian come into their life and help point them in the right direction. It's an amazing difference you could have made in their life. Homosexuality is another issue we deal with today, right? Homosexuality is an issue that it could come from past abuse that they had in their life. It could come from they got around the wrong crowd. Sometimes it comes from they didn't have a good dad. There was a guy in California named Dr. Joseph Nicolasi. He's passed away since, since this quote, but he was a very well-known psychologist. He was on Oprah, a very well-known guy. And his, his practice would help homosexuals where they'd go to him and say, I don't want to have these feelings anymore. Can you help me work through this? And he's quoted as saying, I've worked with thousands of homosexuals. I've never seen one who had a loving, respectful relationship with their father. Isn't that incredible? Dads, we matter. We really do. We matter to our children's lives. Amen. If you're a dad in here tonight, I want to encourage you to step up and be the dad that God's called you to be. Amen. Your children should be way more important than that job you have, Amen. than that hobby you have, yeah. than those other things that you're placing in front of your children. You need to put your children as a priority in your life. They need, to, they need to know that you care about them, that you think that they're amazing, that you love them, that you're there for them. I'm talking to myself. Because we have to have a reality check as dads, don't we? Right, yes, We're supposed to be the dads that God's called us to be and look at it as a calling. We have many people come to our table at the churches we go to, different events we go to, and they say, you know what? I had a dad 
He lived in my house, but I was basically fatherless. There's many dads that are physically present, but they're mentally, emotionally, and spiritually absent. If you're that dad, I want to encourage you to change it tonight. Change it. You can turn it around. Even if your children are grown, change it. Start pursuing them. Pursue their hearts. Turn it around. It might take some work, but go after them. Let them know that you love them and you care about them. Pursue them and encourage them. Guide them on the path that they have. Even if they're adults, be there for them. There's many adults that wish they had that dad just pursuing that mom even pursuing their life. Be there for them. Teen pregnancy. 71% of teen, teenage girls come from fatherless homes. You know, we, we hate abortion. We should. We should hate abortion. Shouldn't we? It's against God, right? But instead of just saying, I hate abortion and putting your social media post out there, I want to encourage you to go and help a young girl before she even has to make that choice. Amen before she even has to go down that relationship path, because your know, dads provide security to young girls. They let them know, hey, you're my princess. Hey, I love you. You're beautiful. I care about you. And when girls don't have that in their life, sometimes they go down the path of finding a guy, a lot of times actually, of finding a guy that says, hey, I'll provide security to you. He doesn't say that, but that's basically what he's doing. And she goes down that relationship. She ends up having that relationship with him, and it ends up sometimes in pregnancy, many times in pregnancy. And then they have to decide, are we going to keep the baby? And then I want to encourage you, even if they get to that point, will you mentor them through that process? Instead of just saying you hate something, you hate abortion, do something about it. Mentor them, encourage them, show them Jesus. Some people try to tell me this is a certain race or a certain side of the train tracks or a certain economic background. There's a study that shows a white teenage girl from an advantaged background is five times more likely to become a teen mother if she grows up in a single mother household than if she grows up in a household with both biological parents. Isn't that incredible? Because that dad matters. He matters in her life, showing her, hey, I care about you, I love you, I'm here for you. And that shows her, hey, I don't have to go down that, that relationship with that guy. Education and studies involving over 25,000 children using national representative data sets. Children who lived with only one parent had lower grade point averages, lower college aspirations, poor attendance records, and higher dropout rates than students who lived with both parents. If they don't do good in school, if they don't get a good job, a lot of times they're going to rely on your tax dollars. So it's affecting you in one way or another, right? It really is. Suicide, three out of four teenage suicides occur in a household where a parent has been absent. Three out of four. And then the last one was on the video. Fodless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse. That was my dad. He was a drug addict and alcoholic. He couldn't break himself from it. He had other things that he struggled with. But those are the two of the main things. And it ruined his life because he grew up fodless. You know, I actually have an a, uh, uh, uncle in Las Vegas that's a pastor. And David Tyson, he's a pastor out there, and my dad was his older brother, and their dad died when David was 10, and, and my, uh, my dad was 13. Well, my, my uh, dad decided, he, they both got saved at a young age, and I, I believe Uncle David did too, or maybe he got a little, actually he may have been a little older, but my dad got saved when he was young, and then he started trying to go down the path of the world and coping through his pain of not having a dad in his life through the world. Started getting involved in drugs and alcohol and relationships and different things. My uncle found a, somebody that started mentoring him, his youth pastor. Started working with him and helping him. And now he has a church in Las Vegas. Big church in Las Vegas. He planted his church. His son planted a church because, they, because he decided he was going to overcome that and not become a statistic. Amen. It wasn't all, you know, like, I'm not going to become a statistic. He just decided, I'm going to follow God. 
And that's the only hope there is. You can help somebody either get on the path like my dad did or get on the same path that my uncle did and make a choice, I'm going to follow Christ or, or not. And I'm telling you that the outcome from somebody that follows Christ with their life is way better than somebody that does not, does not have that opportunity or does not pursue that. You could change their life. You see in the statistic here, it says fatherless children are at a dramatically greater risk of drug and alcohol abuse, mental illness. We, over, we medicate for that today, don't we? A lot of kids are being medicated. And sometimes there is a chemical imbalance. Sometimes they need that medication. But a lot of times they need to know, hey, I care about you. I believe in you. Amen. And I'm here for you. And I love you. Amen. And that will help them. That's the medication that they can have, right? Amen. That's what they need in their life. Instead of telling them, hey, you have a mental illness, start mentoring them. You know, suicide, poor education, performance, teen pregnancy, and criminality. And these things are from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. And they're fully aware and the sad thing is our government knows that they have the grip on these, many of these fatherless families. And they, have, they have a hold of them, and, and they're going to try to keep them. I think it was Lyndon B. Johnson was one of the ones that said he was going to control these types of families, or part of a segment of these families, and, and he's, he's done that. But we as Christians can change that. It's, we have to reject apathy. Amen. We have to be like the Samaritan man and say, no, I'm going to help him, I'm going to have compassion on him, I'm going to care about him. We have to reject apathy. Now, maybe you're thinking you're, tonight, maybe you're thinking, Sean, thanks a lot. It's Wednesday night. I came here for some encouragement. It's been a long week, a lot of stuff going on in our society, and now I'm stressed and depressed. Thanks a lot, Sean. That's not why I'm here, to make you feel discouraged and stressed and depressed. I'm here to encourage you, helping you know that there's hope in these situations Amen. through Jesus Christ. But we've got to reject apathy. Second thing is we have to remit compassion. Letting compassion flow through our lives out to this lost and dying world. Right? Who's the ultimate picture of compassion? Jesus Christ, right? The Bible says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. I love that because it says he had joy to die on the cross for you and for me. Isn't that amazing? I love that. We should get excited about that. Jesus had joy to die on the cross for us. That's compassion. You know, God said, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Isn't that amazing, right? God loved us so much that He sent Jesus to die for us. That's compassion. I love that. It's an incredible thing that God would love us so much, just us humans, that sent Jesus to die on the cross, and then He becomes our Heavenly Father. It's an incredible thing. Have you accepted Jesus into your life tonight? Maybe you're listening online or you're here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus. I was a volunteer youth director in Pennsylvania back in 2010. I was at this church. I was just volunteering. I was doing Life Factors and another ministry, and I was just helping out this church. And um, The guy that had been running the youth group before I was there, he, he said that he... Um, you know, he, the, the pastor wanted us to kind of start filling in for him. And, and so I asked him, I said, one night, I was kind of just, I think I was just starting out or I'd been there for a little bit. And I asked this guy that had been there for a long time, I said, would you share your testimony with the youth group? It was a rookie mistake. Okay, I should have uh, found it out before I did it. And he said, and he kind of, I'm not sure exactly how it all happened, but he said something like, I just have always gone to church. I had to recover from that, okay? I had to recover from that in front of the youth group because that's not what the Bible says, what it means to be saved. The Bible says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We've got to realize we're sinners. Your sin, the things you've done wrong, you've lied, you've stolen, you've cheated, you've done things wrong, right? Your sin's going to lead you to hell. You have to trust in Jesus as you're saved. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. You've got to call upon Jesus to save you. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? That's what the Bible says. We have to make that decision. If you've never made that decision, what are you waiting for? Make that decision tonight. 
If you're listening online, I want to encourage you to contact the church here. They'll help you understand what it means to be saved. They'll encourage you and help you with that, that process. Don't wait on that. Get saved tonight. Now, if you are saved, you've been saved, you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, I want to ask you, how's it going? Because we can get stagnant, can't we? Who's ever gotten stagnant in their faith? Raise your hand. Be honest with me. Everybody's hands should be raised. We get stagnant in our faith, don't we? Sometimes it happens where we get down and discouraged and we get stagnant. We really do. Who in here has ever heard of Spider-Man before? This guy's talking about Spider-Man. Yes, I am. Who's ever heard of Spider-Man? Raise your hand. Spider-Man. Okay. Now, Spider-Man got bit by what? A spider. Thank you very much. I love that response. Okay. Everyone's try it one more time. Spider-Man got bit by what? A spider. Okay, Spider-Man got bit by a spider. And contrary to some people's beliefs, because I've used this illustration before, and people try to tell me, well, it's actually this. Well, okay, I'm not getting into all the technical things. I'm not that, that into it, okay? But understand, Spider-Man got bit by a spider, and because he is a spider, he's able to shoot what? Webs. Now, some people say, well, he, I don't even know. I don't even know, but they get into all these different things. If you want to talk about it at the table, talk to one of my sons about it. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know that much about it. I know I had a stuffed animal when Spider-Man was a kid, and somebody gave it to me. I, I don't really know much about it. But anyways, so Spider-Man got bit by a spider. He's able to shoot webs, okay? And so picture this. Spider-Man, he, he goes home, and he's like, wow, I can do this. This is awesome. What an incredible thing that I can do now. I can shoot webs. I can, I can fight crime and do all, all this stuff. And he goes home, and he sits down in his living room, and he watches a Batman movie, right? Just relaxing. So he's to relax a little bit, just hang out. And he's watching this Batman movie, and then he thinks to himself, man, I'm, I'm thirsty, okay? And so what do you call it, pop or soda here? Or do you call it Coke? Is it one of those places that calls it Coke? Are you guys one of those people? Pepsi. Call it Pepsi. Okay, nice. I love it. Call it Pepsi. Okay, you're going to call it soda, Coke, pop? Yell it out. Soda. I'm going with the pastor then. Okay. You guys are afraid to give your opinions on stuff. It's, it's 2020. We don't want to express our opinions. We're nervous. You can say what you like about soda if you call it pop. It's okay. We're not going to, nothing's going to happen in the parking lot. I promise. Okay. Anyway, so you call it soda. And so Spider-Man's sitting in the living room. He's like, man, I'm really thirsty. I can go for a soda. He shoots a web into the kitchen, opens up the refrigerator, shoots another web, pulls out a soda. And he's sitting there drinking a soda. He's relaxing, watching Batman. Then he thinks to himself, he's like, you know what? I'm so much better than Batman. You know, I just, I don't have time for this anymore. I just realized I'd rather just not watch him anymore. I'm so much better. That's, that's his opinion. I don't know what you think. That's Spider-Man's opinion. At least the imaginary Spider-Man I'm talking about. And, and so he goes outside and he's like, I've never been able to dunk a basketball before. And he's like, you know what? Things have changed. Things have changed, right? And so he takes his web, he shoots it up to the backboard, pulls himself up, he dunks the ball. What a horrible Spider-Man movie that would be, right? You with me? <laughs> I mean, it might be good for a little bit, but Spider-Man's supposed to be out helping people and saving people, isn't he? That's the same thing with us as Christians. We get saved, and sometimes we'll just go home with it, kind of put it on the shelf. We'll say, good, I don't have to go to hell when I die. And we don't tell anybody else about it. We don't share it with our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors. And help them understand that there's hope. We're supposed to be, as Christians, being filled with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be filled with the love of God. We have these things flowing, supposed to be flowing through our lives. Instead, we cap them off and we keep them to ourselves. I want to encourage you, don't be like that. Be the Christian God's called you to be. Go out and be the light in this dark world. It looks helpless right now in our, our nation in a lot of areas. But you still can be a lighthouse, right? You still can be a light in this world. You still can go out and helping people and, and encouraging people and helping people get saved and helping them understand there is hope in Jesus Christ. These families are talked about, the fatherless, 
You see, we see here that the Samaritan man in verse 33, he had compassion. He said he was going to have compassion. And, and God has compassion for the fatherless. He really does. It says in Exodus 22, 22, you should not afflict any widow or fatherless child. It says in Job 29, 12, because I delivered the poor that cried and the fatherless and him that had none to help him. Psalm 68, 5, a father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. You think God loves the fatherless? In his holy habitation, he's a father to the fatherless. I think he cares about them. And if he cares about them, do you think we should as Christians? It says in Psalm 146, 9, the Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless. I love that. He relieveth the fatherless. But how are they going to find the relief that they need? We see from the statistics they need some relief. How are they going to find some relief unless we tell them about him? Unless we lead them to him? Unless we establish relationships with them and show them, hey, there's a better way. You can help people. You can encourage people. We see in the statistics, you can literally save a life or save a baby's life or save, save these different families from going down the path of destruction if you go into their life and shine the light of Jesus into their life and point them to the Father. James 1.27 says, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. I love that verse. Amen. It's telling us it's a pure religious practice for you and for me to visit the fatherless. To visit there is talking about to look upon in order to help or to benefit. It's not a one-time thing. It's us looking upon that family that God's placed in our circle of influence and visiting them and helping them and encouraging them and doing what we can for them. And the Bible says it's pure religion. And that verse, fatherless, there can be translated, if you look it up, it's talking about a child who's lost a, a mom or a dad or both. So we're talking about you know, a child that doesn't have their mom, doesn't have their dad, it's an orphan child, a foster care child. Somebody that is in your circle of influence, right? Yeah. And then it says in the next part of that verse, and widows. Widows there, it's talking about a woman, if you look it up in the Greek, it's talking about a woman who's lost her husband due to death or abandonment. A lot of times that's a single mom, right? Don't make single moms feel like there are some black sheep in the church or in your community. Reach into their life and encourage them. Amen. Help them on their journey. You know, we want to let compassion flow through our lives, but we can't stop there. You know, we're not here tonight just to say, oh, I feel bad. This poor little fatherless kids. What's for supper? You know what I mean? That's not why I'm here tonight. I'm not traveling around in an RV that's falling apart on me for you to say, oh, right? I'm just being honest. That's not why I'm here. That's not why I stayed in your backyard for three weeks, okay? I'm ready for you to say, oh, that's not why I'm here. I'm here for you to do something. I'm going to encourage you to do something. If you came here tonight and you heard the statistics, you heard the scriptures, and you just left these, walked out of these doors and just totally forgot about all the people that God's bringing onto your mind, to your heart, and you left tonight, you'd be like one of those movies. Did you ever watch one of those movies that just ends? Did you ever watch a movie like that? And those movies that just end where the guy, okay, there's, there, there's, a, there's a couple and they're falling in love, and it takes a whole movie, two hours for them to fall in love, okay, right? Did you ever watch a movie like that and then the movie just ends and there's no wedding? It's like, are you serious? Or there's a battle scene or a fighting scene and they don't show the winner at the end of the movie? Did you ever watch a movie like that? It's like, well, what happened? Who hates movies like that where they just end? Complete opposite from every Hallmark movie ever made, right? Hallmark, I'm talking, those are unpredictable movies. Predictable movies is a Hallmark movie. Did you ever see a Hallmark movie? Guy or a girl goes to a small town, right? Every single one. They have that big city boyfriend or girlfriend attorney, don't they? And they go back to that small town, they see that country boy, that country girl, don't they, right? And at first they don't like them, do they? They don't like them. 
They're like, oh, I don't like that. That guy's a loser. Ew, she's mean or whatever. You know what I mean? I don't like them, right? Then they have a job. Do they have to save a cafe or save a factory? Right? Are you with me? By the end of the movie, they dump that big city boyfriend or girlfriend. They fall in love with that country boy or country girl. They're like, hey, right? And then they save that cafe and save that factory, right? Every single homework movie ever made. I hate homework movies. They drive me nuts. They're all the same. First five minutes, you know the story. It's the same actors and actresses and one beat right before the other movie. You just watch. Same thing. It's like I get tired of my who my wife loves homework movies. Who who else likes homework movies? Raise your hand. Come on, be honest with me. It's okay. I'm not trying to offend anyone. I'm just stating the truth, okay? That's the predictable movies. I'm talking about the unpredictable where they just end. They frustrate us, right? Because they, we think to ourselves, there should be more to this story. Imagine if this passage ended in, in verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him. And then Jesus just ended the story there. Imagine if it stopped there. We'd be like, well, what did he do? Oh, he felt bad for him. Okay. Did he do anything? I'm thankful that Jesus gave us the rest of the story. Amen. Verses 34 and 35 give us a formula on how we can help hurting people that God has placed in our lives that we have compassion for. I want to encourage you to do something. The last thing is react with a plan. Reject apathy. Say, no, I'm not going to be apathetic. I'm going to let compassion flow through my life. I'm going to make compassion, but I'm going to react with a plan. I'm going to do something for the people that God is placing on my heart right now. I'm going to help them on their journey. It says in verse 34, and went to him. And went to him. They say if you don't do something within the first 48 hours of caring about an issue, then you probably won't do anything. So between now and Thursday evening, do something. Maybe start a prayer list. Start praying for the people God's placed on your heart. Maybe you're thinking, well, I can't think of anybody right now. Well, start praying and asking God to give you somebody to pray for or to help. Amen. Do something. Start the process. Maybe you're already thinking about somebody. We'll start praying for them. Also, message them, call them, text them, send them a letter. Start the process. Between now and Friday, I want to encourage you. Reach. This is it's a it's a pretty simple thing. We don't have to take take six months and form a committee and try to start up a mentoring agency and all that stuff. You can do that. There's nothing wrong with that. Some churches have that, and that's great. But if you individually want to get started. Just do it as an organic approach to the people that God has placed in your circle of influence. Just like this guy was right in front of him, the Samaritan. And he said, okay, this person's right in front of me. Let me help him. Maybe that niece or nephew or that, that uh, person in your neighborhood, that grandparent raising their grandkids or that coworker you have that's a single mom or whoever it is that, that God's placing in your heart, reach into their life and do something for them. Start the process. It's the next part of this verse, verse 34, says, and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now look at that, what it says there. Really understand what it's saying. And bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. He used his own resources to help this guy heal. Use your own resources. Do what God give, use what God's given to you to help other people. I guarantee you God will bless you for it. Maybe not monetarily. He'll bless you with joy, and peace, and hope. and He'll give you all kinds of things, right? Next part of that verse is pouring in oil and wine, and then it says he set him on his own beast. He gave him transportation, took him where he needed to go. It says he brought him to an inn and took care of him, right? He gave him lodging. And on the morrow when he, took out, and when he departed, he took out two pence and gave them to the host and said unto him, take care of him. And whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. He even took care of him when he was going to be gone. He was going to help him long term, do what, do what he could to help him as much as he possibly could. 
This is a great, like I said, great formula for us. I would not be standing in front of you tonight if it wasn't for the people that reached into my life and said, I'm going to help Sean. They were not formal plans, many of them. Maybe some of them were, but not many of them. They were just people that said, you know what, I care about that kid. I'm going to help him. Like I said, when I was 10 months old, my dad left, and you saw in the video, my grandparents stepped in, helped pick up the pieces, and, and then my grandfather passed away when I was in sixth grade. You saw this stuff in the video. And then it was just my grandma and I for, from a 12-year-old boy and a 60-some-year-old lady living in a house together. I watched enough Young and the Restless and Bold and the Beautiful to last me a lifetime, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. My grandma and I, we, we had a good time together. We really did. But I lived with my gram, and she did her best. She was trying to keep me, and we'd watch Wheel of Fortune, and she'd watch Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls, and she was just trying to keep me fed and keep a coat on me, right? In Pennsylvania, that's where I grew up. I needed some men to come into my life and encourage me and, and teach me about being a man. My youth pastor took me hunting for the first time, took me mudding in his truck, took me, I'm not, not he didn't take me hunting, I'm sorry, he took me camping for the first time. Had another youth leader take me hunting for the first time. He got, he, all he did, and it was a lot, but I'm saying all he did was he would, he liked to go deer hunting, and so he got my hunter safety course, helped me with that, gave me the gun I needed to use, gave me, gave me the clothes to wear, and he took me out, took me out hunting. And I got introduced to this whole group of men that I had never experienced before, or I wouldn't have experienced otherwise, and I got to be involved in this, this manly thing that they were out there hunting and going out at 4 a.m., and, and uh, by 10 o'clock in the morning, I, I had my, all my lunch ate, my supper ate, my hot chocolate drank, and it was, it was a great time. I didn't really enjoy it that much, but it was fun to be out there with Brian, okay? And so I had, but the, the, the thought that he actually took time to care about me, that spoke, spoke volume to me, okay? It was, it was an amazing thing that he would do that. I had a guy named Robin Laurie, a couple named Robin Laurie in our church that they just had an open door policy at their house. They didn't announce that, but you just knew. And they had a limited supply of Mountain Dew, Doritos, and double stuffed Oreos, right? And I could stop at their house anytime. And I could, I could show up at 11 o'clock at night and, and just hang out with them. And when I was at these different couples' houses, I got to see them operate as married couples, Christian married couples. I got to see them as Christian parents. And that stuff was invaluable to me. You can be an influence just by allowing them to come into your home. Now, I understand coronavirus and everything. Let's put that aside. You know what I mean, okay? I mean, do what you can right now. I understand. Maybe you need to do it virtually. I don't know, but do what you can. And then Jim and Deb came into my life, and Jim's still like my dad. Jim's like a father-in-law to my wife, and they're the grandparents to my kids, and just because they cared about us. No blood relation, no marriage relation, nothing. Just a couple that said, I don't care about this guy. I started working for them at their house, doing some projects and different things. And it was just, when I was 15 years old, and it just basically became like part of the family. I didn't live there or anything like that. I just was, I was there all the time. I spent time with them. The thing is, this is what I want you to understand before I close, is you can take what you like to do, what you're good at, and you can invest in somebody else's life. The kids that are going through these circumstances, a lot of times they just want somebody to care about them. If you're good at hunting, sewing, cooking, cleaning, if you're good at grilling, if you're good at whatever you're good at, you're working on cars, working on computers, whatever you like to do, invite some of these families or individuals around you while you're doing those things. Say, hey, well, come on over. I'm going to change my oil. You want to watch? A young man would love to do that. For some of him to teach. I think how many guys I've met that did not have a man in their life growing up, and they feel so inferior when it comes to working on cars. 
There's many different issues, many things that you're really good at that maybe you can invest in somebody else. Don't let what you're good at die with you. Invest in somebody else. Spend some time helping people on their journey as they're going through this. As we close, look at verse 36. It says, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among thieves, that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. I want to ask you tonight, who came into your life that helped you? Maybe it was your parents, and that, praise the Lord, that's great. I hope my kids can say the same thing. Maybe you had, great, you had grandparents. Maybe you had an aunt, or an, uncle, aunt or an uncle or a coach or a mentor, a boss, a teacher, I don't know. Well, whoever it was, would, would you be willing to do the same for somebody else? Well, they can get to the point when they're an adult, whenever they're older, they're going to be in a church too. On Wednesday night, growing in the Lord, right? Would you do that for them? Would you go and do that likewise? Thank you for listening to the preaching podcast of Victory Baptist Church in Roanoke Rapids, North Carolina, led by Pastor Jeremy Coburnett. For more information about our ministry, please visit our website at vbcrr.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.